Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. This audio edition is created in conjunction with partners as part of our Market Voice series. Well, we hear regularly that marketers are so stretched in their remits that they really only spend 5 to 10% of their time on media-related agendas. But Suncorp CMO Mim Hasem right now is blowing those ratios out of the water. She's in the middle of her next planning and budget cycle and her time allocation to media is upwards of 70% at the moment. And what's really interesting is that Suncorp and its portfolio of brands will be one of the first big advertisers in the country to test firsthand what all this fuss is about when the TV industry's much talked about, much delayed, cross-screen total audience measurement system known as VOZ kicks off. Seven's imminent signature event, the Olympics, will be the first big showcase of VOZ. How well is this thing going to work? Well, coupled with a near real-time reporting system tracking actual ads across linear and digital TV and the impact they're having in digital behaviour like search volumes, this is going to be an interesting conversation. Suncorp has been trialling the Agile platform for nearly a year and it's all part of these material changes underway as advertisers press to get a clearer picture on audience duplication across screens and how those ads are impacting business results. There remains structural and talent capability challenges to getting there. So to hear from some industry leaders trying to do all this and what they are learning, Mim Hasem is joined by OMG CEO Peter Horgan and Seven's Chief Revenue Officer Kurt Burnett. Welcome to you all. I'm looking forward to this one. And Mim, we might go to you first. Uh, media's a bit on your mind at the moment. You're, you're really in the weeds on it. Why so? And it seems a bit unusual for a CMO. And welcome, Mim. Thanks for joining. Hey, Paul. Thanks for having me. I'm not sure that it is a bit unusual. Maybe it is. Um, For me, it's quite simple, really. Media is a massive investment for the organisation and it's by far the biggest dollar investment decision I make in my role. Um, So at this point in the year, coming into a new financial year and having just come through our planning cycle where our focus is business casing for investment, Um, It's modelling to business requirements. I, of course, at this time of year, spend a lot of time on getting our investment profile and our strategy right. Um, Once our plans are set, I've got a brilliant team who executes and and optimises against the plan. So it drops back, you know, as the year goes on in terms of the, the amount of time and focus I give to this. But I do still invest time in reviewing our effectiveness um, and also spending time with our partners like Horgs and Amy and Kurt uh, to ensure that there's a focus on what's needed to deliver for the business and to spend time helping those partners understand our business and building great relationships with them as well so that when opportunities like, and I know we're going to talk about it, the Olympics come up, they think of me first and those opportunities come to me first. So um, I think it's really interesting, your observation, um, that most CMOs don't spend a whole lot of time in this space because for most clients, media would be the biggest spend or investment they manage. So they should be time spending time managing it and making sure it's an effective return on investment. Well, I think what's interesting in our in earlier conversations too, Mim, though, is that you're actually, you are really in the weeds on this. You're down in the detail on, on a whole bunch of stuff which we're going to cover. I guess let's talk a little bit about what you're doing with Seven and the Olympics at the moment because um, you've been on this sort of all screens uh, journey with uh, OMD and the group and, 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 and Suncorp itself has been on this. Um, you feel you've been making some progress. Where, where is it? Just tell us a little bit about what you've been up to there on this all screens journey and why it's important. 
Yeah, as part of the strategic approach that we've built with um, the OMD team, we do take what we call the approach of a screens strategy, which means that we look at the audience journey across screens and channels rather than looking at each channel independently when we're planning. Across our portfolio, you know, we've got nine brands, in uh, insurance brands um, within the Suncorp portfolio. And so across that portfolio, we engage in a lot of broadcast partnerships um, you know, for example, the block with Suncorp, um, we've got our partnership with AFL and Channel 7 with Amy and, and coming up, we've got that partnership with Seven for the Olympics broadcast with Amy as well. You know, I, I really love these kinds of partnerships and, and working through these partnerships because um, the opportunity they provide to really leverage our investment, to plan and execute beyond individual channels and to build a full audience journey, develop bespoke and environmentally relevant creative and content, which we've done for the Olympics. It, it's, all, it's all a great way to leverage our investment. And on top of that, we've built capability where we can track and, and optimise while the activity is in flight. We get really strong results from these kind of partnerships and return on investment from these partnerships. Um, and from my perspective, that just keeps going from strength to strength as we continue to build in new capability around, as I said, you know, the tracking effectiveness and the optimising in flight. So, um, so yeah, I absolutely think we're doing great work in this space and the numbers and the results are telling us that. Just just on that, a uh, little bit more detail on that all screens approach, though, how audiences are travelling across different contexts. When did that click for you and, and how long have you been working on that? Pretty quick in terms of when did it click for me. Um, Coming in, the team had traditionally been structured um, as end-to-end brand teams, as you mentioned. Um, and, uh, you know, when I joined Suncorp, having spent some time sort of understanding the way the teams worked and the ambition for the business and the business strategy, um, I, I felt like it was the right time for us to shift and sort of change that structure to um, a combination of brand teams and centres of excellence, um, working cross-functionally. Uh, and the intent of that was really to enable us to take a portfolio view and to better manage our investment across the portfolio of nine brands, um, but also to build best-in-class capability in those centres of excellence. Um, so we have brand teams and they focus on strategy and execution. We also have a team that is focused on MarTech, audience management, digital marketing and content. Uh, we've got a team focused on operations and data science, a customer marketing team, and, and all of those teams and centres of excellence if you like, work cross-functionally to achieve results for the business. And we've found that that structure has enabled us to continue focusing on building out the capabilities that we need. And we need to do that in this environment with some level of pace and focus. Um, and it also enables us to, to really um, create strong cross-functional teams and, and shared learnings and to manage the portfolio more effectively. So, you know, we made that change probably about three years ago. And, you know, as new capability is required. We build that in, we tweak the structure. Um, but for us, it's about enabling um, really strong capability and, and cross-functional teams to execute for the portfolio as well as the brands. Well, it's interesting, Kurt Burnett, you're trolling some pretty new stuff here. One is Voz is coming. Basically, the Olympics will be the first sort of, I think Peter Horgan talks about it being a signature event. Talk to us about what's going on there with the Olympics and how this fits into, say, what Mim's talking about with her cross-screen or all-screen strategy. Thanks, Paul. It's fair to say that uh, we've had some very good planning in the last 12 months in particular since the last Olympics was postponed. And, you know, we've used that time pretty wisely, I'd uh, I'm happy to say. And this for us as a business, the Olympics, Tokyo 2020, uh, in the next few weeks, it's actually for us as a business, as an event horizon, 
um, in respect of what it is that we're doing for our own business and capabilities and working with clients and people like Mim and Hawks and his team has been uh, you know, really important in getting us to where we are. Um, I'll get to Voz in a second, but I think it's really important for the journey that we've taken more broadly speaking. And and one of the things that um, and Mim touched on there in terms of, you know, cross-functional and collaboration and trust, uh, you know, if you're really going to try new things and push the boat out, so to speak, in innovation, you really do need to be collaborative and you need to have trust. It's been an interesting exercise about you know, as, as you know, data is, is, is put on the table, um, it's protected very rightly so, but I think there just needs to be a whole lot more of that trust together. And you've got to build trust. You can't just say, I need it, and there it is. But you've got to build it. So once you've got those things in place, and I think it's a great example of the people who've got on the call here um, with uh, Hawks and MIM in their, in their respective companies that we have built that trust. So what we've been able to do there is really work towards, um, you know, uh, doing all sorts of things in the Olympics from, it's not just obviously the linear uh, broadcast that's coming in, it's the live stream, um, it's the video on demand, um, and you know, for the Olympics we're introducing languages um, as, as, as much as anything to you know, get to that um, hard to reach audience. And the way that we're gonna report it, I mean, thankfully, because of that 12 months delay, we actually will have VOZ, um, first Olympic VOZ. Just quickly for those uh, like me who may not know deep in TV land what VOZ is, in, in, a, in a sentence, it's going to do what? So it'll allow a de-duped audience across, for the first time across broadcast and BVOD, uh, deliver a true national uh, metro regional combination in a de-duped fashion, but also deliver broadcast and uh, BVOD audience in a de-duped environment um, and an audience, and then also allow us to move into segment-based buying beyond age and demographic. And uh, that's first in the world. You know, this is going to be the biggest digital event in the history of Australian media. So, you know, it's a significant event and we're going to be able to capture that uh, together with our customers, uh, not just as a linear digital proposition, but a a digital and a broadcast brought together, first time delivered on a full national basis, de-duped um, and segmented. Uh, and we're adding to that using um, Agile Media, uh, who is uh, been working with uh, Mim and Son called Amy Tim far longer than what they have with us um, and the same with Hawks. But what we're trying to do there is, so we've got the measurement right with Voz coming in, able to report like, um, you know, in a way that we haven't been able to do before. We'll be able to do in-flight optimization to actually move audiences around from broadcast into BVOD um, to meet audience objectives. And actually uh, what Agile will give us uh, is for the first time we'll be able to uh, deliver real-time TV and BVOD impression level exposure and web-based behavior measurement. So not only will we be able to measure the audience, but we'll be able to track what is happening at that particular time um, a particular creative goes to air and track it by device. Obviously, connected television is going to be absolutely huge um, through the Olympics. But, you know, the work that we're doing together, I think, is really going to help just shape, um, you know, what media can and should look like. And it's, you know, this is exploration. It's really exciting in the sense that, you know, there is no set path for this. We're all trying to lean in together to find better ways to make sure that business results are met, um, audiences are met, everyone gets what they need. And out of this, we'll have key learnings to take us into, you know, the next big thing that we do um, together with our customers um, in, in a very different way. 
any pressure, uh, Kurt, on the fact that you will have this big event doing Voz very early? There's been lots of talk about discussion and debate about when it's landing. It's here. No pressure? You're feeling comfortable about that? Yeah, we are. Look, we, we're working with uh, the Voz files now. We've seen some of the early data that's coming out. You know, we've seen that 1824 adds 15%, you know, incremental reach and 2539, 11 to 12%. So we've seen some of those good percentage numbers. The data that's been worked out, you know, we're in contact every day. Um, you know, this is going to be world-class. Peter Hogan, what do you make of the Olympics uh, with Voz and Agile, the tie up there, and gives a sense of where, where the market is heading in all this sort of all-screens journey? You've been on it for a while with your group. First, Voz and Agile and Olympics. Um, what do you make of that? I think launching it... Um Launching it in such a showcase event, as you, as you mentioned, I think, yes, it's brave because it's been a long time coming, but it also, uh, it's a sign of confidence, I think, by the uh, uh, by the t- TV industry that it's uh, it's ready to go. I think introducing Agile as well just uh, just adds adds a little more, bit more spice to uh, to this um, to this scenario uh, and allows us to do uh, real time optimization. You know, it's uh, it's all very well planning. Uh, Weeks and weeks and months out, and doing uh, and doing your best job on uh, on historical data. But uh, I think this will be a new data ecosystem uh, across across the uh, the entire uh, uh, array of assets uh, in the uh, in the in the free to wear uh, landscape, and uh, and allowing us allowing us to optimize on the fly in almost real time uh, is going to be uh, it, it, it's it's great innovation and it's uh, and and because we're dealing with a new with a new currency it's it's going to be uh, even more critical it does point to peter the stuff that mim was talking about in terms of all screens and trying to get a view across everything this adds to it in that bigger picture if we think about what's been happening at, at an industry level uh, around screens and who, where audiences are and how you buy and what screens and what channels and so forth the all screens thing is 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 been rising in discussion you've been on this caper for a bit what's changed though where are we at today and what your group at least is doing uh in, in its all screens uh planning and strategic sort of uh, uh, imperatives versus what you were doing a couple of years ago what's changed I think the planning for for, uh, for as long as I can remember has been uh, that has been a, a single a single view of, of customer a single view of audience across across screens across channels across across broader media channels um, I think what's changing is is in the activation or, or the uh, the transaction end of the uh, of the spectrum um, which historically has been uh, Especially in the programmatic arena, some of the exotics where uh, uh, it's complex, it's moving fast. You need uh, specialists who are able to spark off each other and have been uh, transacting uh, in isolation. I think what we're seeing now, ever more, is uh, our desire and our structure. And, and this is, uh, and we've evolved this working with SunCorp, and we've, uh, and it's, it's how we apply it across our entire business. Is I think in the programmatic uh, data overlay uh, transactional arena, you, uh, you you still have specialists, a centre of excellence, uh, uh, leading the bleeding edge of, uh, of of what you're able to extract in, uh, in in the programmatic arena. But you are embedding them within account teams, so you have a single view of that customer, of that audience on a client piece of business, and you have uh, you have those traders sitting next to each other from a. Uh, a broadcast, 
a BVOD, a uh, programmatic perspective, all uh, sh- sharing sharing learnings uh, within the one client ecosystem. So, Kurt, um, there's there's the OMG group, I guess, uh, approach to to this. You're seeing that view across a whole bunch of different agency groups and client types, um, brands, and how they're operating with this all screens, all audience approach. What are the challenges there? Because it's quite different by agency group, right? So, is there still is there still some 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 lag there or some issues to be addressed? before the market at large really gets um, going on this? Yeah, look, I, I think it is. I mean, you know, we're in Binamics Perfect, by the way, but, uh, you know, we, we've got a vision of where we want to get to because we see where the future of, we believe where the future of uh, media buying is, is heading, which is all centred around audience. I don't think there's any, uh, you know, major revelations there, but how that comes together is really important with the work that's happening now. And look, there's no new news in the idea of channel planning, obviously. I mean, that's, that's you know, well advanced. some very, very smart people doing that. I think what uh, is really interesting about it's that how you stitch and fuse the audience together, the, the channels together, and that's what this discussion around screens is allowed, um, allowed to happen is to bring those things together. What is audience travelling across between... Um, what was siloed areas between broadcast and digital, so in particular, but that'll expand out further into, you know, other video assets and other mediums, I'm sure. So what we're seeing is everyone will be talking about, everyone's talking about, I've seen everyone's pitch deck, uh, you know, very clever people that are, you know, winning business on on those pitches um, with those people. But I think what is interesting to see is how people are executing that. Um, and so it, this is, it's really important to note, this is a journey that we are taking as well with a lot of, um, you know, different customers and agencies on the way through. So I think everyone has a screen strategy, but not everybody has a screens execution strategy in the way that we've been talking about here. Not because they don't want to, I just think it's something, you know, structure. We ourselves have to, you know, like any good strategy is supported by structure. Um, we've had to change structure and technology and, you um, and capability, and I think that's what um, we're starting to see evolve in in agency land. Because when we talk to clients, you know, we talk to Mim. You know, uh, Mim doesn't necessarily want to know about, and she assumes, I assume, that that's going to be taken care of. How to get that best outcome? She's relying on her agency to give her those best, and her team relying on their agency to give those best. Um, you know, those best inputs to get that. But, and the same for us when we as publishers are having those conversations. But I think the executional part, uh, there is very different uh, phases of uh, capability, um, understanding about what we're trying to do here, I think. And this really does set us up for the future. I mean, you know, somebody said to me about eight months ago, I remember saying, they said, we were talking about this stuff. They said, you know what? It's actually not our problem. This is your problem as intelligent to solve. And I thought that was an interesting insight to um, where things are at at the time. And you know what? They were actually right to a, to a degree in that we need to get, you know, measurement right and technology right, you know, viewability, all those things if you want to do screens. But I also think now we're starting to feel that people are leaning a lot harder. You know, people will win business based on their positioning on this. And as soon as that happens, then it'll move in um, very quickly. But I can I certainly feel it. Um, you know, happening that way because it's and it's not all about Voz. You know, it's not Voz is certainly going to be an enabler to that, but there's other things around how it's traded through. Um, 
you know, trade desks and technology and the like. So there's some other factors that come in here, but it's an interesting, very interesting. So there is the, there are issues here though, Kurt, with um, so uh, with different groups and how they're structured with their executional and buying teams, right? So you've got specialists, and those specialists are dedicated to surprisingly the area and the channel they're working on. But when you're trying to get an all-screen strategy, sometimes they don't necessarily all fit in and connect uh, like they should yet. That's still a challenge in the market, isn't it? Yeah, I, I believe it is, yeah. And, and I think we've also, publishers and Seven, and you know, we all have to evolve to that. But yeah, I, I believe it is. But you know what? The, you, what I do love about this, the positive in all this, that the intent is there. Every person that you speak to, or most most speak actually, um, would say that that's where we're all heading to try and solve this problem. Because at the end of the day, we're all trying to do the same thing, which is to get the best business outcome for our customers. And this does that. Mim, in terms of the, we talked earlier about your structure, how are you, I guess, addressing combating that specialist, generalist, silo uh, approach to even just media? I mean, there's, you've got a much bigger remit, right? You've got, you're across technology, customer, a whole bunch of things. But in that media and channel environment where you've got your people internally, are they, are they thinking like this or is it very much reliant on the agency to, to unpack all that for you? No, look, they're, they're very much thinking like that, my my team. Um, and part of the benefit, as I said before, around that structure is we create cross-functional teams and, and that enables um, and, and encourages that view and that accountability for, for effectiveness and performance as well. Um, uh, you know, I think we, we kind of view it and take a, a combined approach on that. Um, we have... Um, we have some capability internally that we rely on when we're thinking about how we spend our media. So we've got marketing mixed modelling, which we run internally. We've got a data science team that sits in marketing um, that, you know, tracks our performance. And then we combine that with what OMD brings to the table as well. So um, I, I would say we don't just blindly, uh, you know, expect the agency to be accountable for the performance of, of what we invest in. It's it's a combined accountability, if you like, and we use some internal tools and capabilities for that combined with what OMD brings to the table. In terms of the structure you've been and the approach you've had in the last couple of years, what's been the impact on that for your business? Is it better? Is it the same? Is it more efficient? How do you define the success of this of this sort of approach so far? I mean, we, we track quite heavily um, how our return on investment is um, performing. Um, and I, I can't talk in detail around that, of course, um, because it is um, commercially sensitive. But uh, we track that with OMD. We've had phenomenal uh, success and improvements on return on investment. Um, and that has been a combined effort of all of those things that I talked about. It's been the changes in internally around structure, around capability, around approach to strategy, planning, execution. And that joined up with the combination of bringing OMD on board, you know, two and a half coming up to three years ago um, has fundamentally changed, um, our, I guess, our return on investment and the impact that our investment is having on the business outcomes. Is there hotspots, Mim, are there, are there pockets? of really interesting learning that you're taking it to the broader business out of that? Is there anything you can just tell us your numbers, really? <laughs> I can't tell you my numbers, Paul. You know that. I tell you that all the time. You can only try. <laughs> I can only try. Uh, look, I think, um, you know, we really um, put a strong lens on effectiveness, efficiency, return on investment. That is 
embedded through the team and the team culture. The team knows what our broader business objectives are. And, you know, I think the way we approach our partnerships, particularly with our creative agencies and OMD, is they are involved way upstream in our strategy and planning process. Um, so they are there at their get-go. They know our business strategy and our business objectives as well as my team do. And they are as an accountable for them as well. So with all of our agency partners, we have a performance-based model and the agency partners have the same scorecard as I have. So everybody is fully aware of what we are running at, what our ambitions are for the brands and for the business. um, And everyone is equally accountable for that. And we build the strategy together. And, you know, when we're working with partners like Kurt, similarly, we work on that strategy uh, way up front in terms of what are the expectations of the outcomes of an investment of a partnership like this. Peter Horgan, I know we talked earlier about this as to whether agencies are reflecting, mirroring mirroring your client structures. There's some debate around that, which I'll get to your thoughts on, but certainly it looks from Kurt's perspective on the media sell side that, that media owners are looking to at least try and replicate or mirror what agencies are doing in terms of their channel planning and their silos and so forth. And secondly, is there a benefit uh, as all these media owners start to try and mirror what agencies are doing in their buying styles? What's the wash up there, Peter Horgan? Media owners have it tough because there's, there's a spectrum of, uh, of how agencies or even direct clients are, uh, are asking them to inter- interact with them. And they kind of need to uh, show up uh, and service uh, each, each of those structures. And they're fundamentally different. And specialization is an impediment to a, a channel neutral uh, uh, objective. But specialization is also required. And it, it, you, the uh, programmatic people like like talking to uh, to, to programmatic salespeople, um, search people like talk, talking to search people, broadcast people like talking to broadcast people. And I think our big mission over the last couple of years has been to um, protect and cherish the specialization and, and diverse capability we have uh, within our environment, but to bring it together in a uh, in a team's environment servicing a client as a as an integrated ecosystem that can look at look at channels uh, as a as a path to audiences and uh, and our priority is the right audiences for the for, for, for the clients so not everyone is uh, is on the same page as us and there, there are entities that, that even from a broadcast perspective have uh, have standalone trading entities we, we see that as the antithesis of a uh, of a of a channel neutral or or an integrated approach and uh, and and view it as suboptimal for a client, which is why we've been on this journey. Um, but I think um, media owners need to uh, maximise the revenue for for their for their inventory, which they needs they need to show up in different ways. Well, that's right. And Kurt, Kurt, it's almost like you've got to have five heads because of the different sort of structures of different agencies and clients. How are you managing that? That's a, there's a bit of tension involved in trying to meet the market at all levels, uh, whether you're a Peter Horgan with his take or 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 another that's that gets a little bit um uh, difficult doesn't it well yeah look it is it is difficult but i think it's actually again just part of the you know the, the movement of media and and setting up for the future like our teams now have to be not just broadcast and uh you know and we're bringing this through as we speak it's not, not just broadcast specialists or digital specialists they're you know the combination and i actually believe that um, the rock star of the future is that that has the knowledge of both, you know. And uh, to, to Hawks's point, though, the, the specialisation is absolutely going to always be needed because they things are moving so quickly. But 
you know, the, the real secret ingredient will be how you can bring people that can bring those things together in a pretty simple and easy way to get an effective outcome. So our structures are changing. Our structures are different by uh, agency group, um, but they're different by marketplace because even in the, the states, um, you know, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth, the way that uh, they work and want, um, you know, we believe if we have a view, it's our, our mantra of plug and play your way. So, you know, there is no forced way to do it, but we want to be keep pushing um, and leading and innovating. But if somebody doesn't want to do that, if you just want a straight transaction, you got to deliver that because it's no use force feeding something that somebody doesn't want or is not ready for. Um, we've learned that the hard way too. So you're right, we do have to um, move and shake a bit, but that's about understanding your customer really you know we are still trying to work it out i think we've certainly doing a lot of testing a lot of positive um things happening in that space but i think the real key point here is the best work the very best work that you do is when you have your agency team members your client and your uh you know publishers so seven amy and omd team and it's happening every other day as we speak are working together because to Mim's point, we understand what their objectives are trying to uh, are. We understand what the agency's objectives are. When you work together, every time that works. It's when you don't have those connection points, you're always going to get what you put in, which is get me a CPM and that'll do. It's a transaction and move on. Um, so I, th- I think it's uh, you know that that collaboration piece is just cannot overstate that enough. Mim Haysom, I want to um, just ask you about, you know, I'm guilty of it all the time. We bang on about media and channel relentlessly, and we probably should with two media people on this call. So let's give them that nod. However, there is a broader discussion, which is really interesting around, we, we forget the creative a lot. We also, we talk so much about media and, and audience that we dismiss or or, or sort of um, low, lower the, the importance of the creative role in this. Now, I think in this case, with what you're doing with the Olympics, you've got, uh, I think you mentioned or Kurt might have mentioned bespoke creative around the Olympics. What are you What are you doing there? How important is the bespoke? And then lastly, it's hard to do, right? It's high touch, more work, more creative executions. Can you get the ROI? Can you make it work efficiently when you start to getting to bespoke creative? Oh, you can make it work harder. I mean, this is, you know, this is the point I touched on before, right? Um, and one of the reasons why... Uh, you know, I love engaging in these broadcast partnerships is exactly for that reason, because you can create bespoke creative um, that is contextually relevant. And it, it just is, if you do it right, it is so much more engaging. If you do it right, you can create um, content at various touch points in that audience journey that joins the dots uh, for the audience. And when you get that combination and all those ingredients right and working together the right way, like it's magic. Uh, it, the the impact in terms of um, engagement with your audience, um, business outcomes, return on investment, it just blows it out of the water. Um, so it's one of the reasons why I really love um, engaging in these broadcast sponsorships because it enables you to be really creative with your work and with your content um, and it's work that works. So, um, yeah, I, I love it. And, and creative is is massively important, right? Um, if you've got 
terrible creative um, that's not built on insight, that doesn't emotionally engage and connect with your audience or deliver some form of value exchange for them, then you're wasting your money with the media. So just uh, you, you are, I think you're one of your brands, uh, Amy, is an Olympic sponsor. Can you give us a little heads up of how you might be going bespoke on, on that side with creative? What are you doing there? What will we see? Yeah, well, we've already... Uh, Across different channels, by the way, right? So you're doing it for different channels. I mean, one thing I can tell you, because it's already, we've already started um, putting it out in market, is we've developed some bespoke TVCs using our character Keith, where he is in the, the backyard arena. So there's a bit of fun that character is having with uh, various sports that you would see usually in the Olympic arena. Uh, so that creative is is bespoke to the um, Olympics environment. Uh, we've also built a whole lot of creative assets that will actually be in the broadcast, which we've done with um, Kurt and his team. And then, of course, that pulls through as well onto what you would find um, in terms of content in our digital channels. Um, so there's three specific TV executions that we've created, um, as well as all of the integration components that I, that I just mentioned with Kurt's team. Uh, so there's a bunch of work around it. It's it's good fun and it'll have great impact. I'm really confident. And it's not cost prohibitive either on in terms of developing it or with the amount of time that your team needs to spend, the teams, all your teams, agency and internally, on having to develop and plan for much more specific outcomes or campaigns. It's not prohibitive? Well, I, I, think it, I don't think there's a blanket response to that, right? You've got to think about the property that you're buying into. Um, and they're all quite different. So, you know, the Olympics... For for us, um, it is a big investment and it's a shorter block of time than most of our broadcast partnerships go for. So, you know, we, um, we're going hard on this particular asset. Um, if I think about other work that we do with Kurt, which is um, the AFL partnership and, and Channel 7 sponsorship with the AFL, you know, that, that goes for eight, nine months of the year. So when we build creative um, specific to that context, um, it, it lasts in market for a long time and, again, has really great impact in terms of the creative results, the persuasion index, the brand equity scores. Um, it, it all adds up and, and creates more significant impact than if we were doing standalone executions and spots and dots. So, um, yeah, for us, the results have been speaking for themselves in terms of the impact that we get out of those broadcast partnerships. And a lot of that has to do with the work that we put into getting the creative right. Peter Horgan, are you okay with us talking about creative? Premium, premium events are, are such a significant investment. It's incumbent upon us as a, as a media agency to, uh, to explore how we can best leverage that. So I think it's the wrong lens to look at it as uh, isn't it prohibitive to, to look at uh, bespoke creative or integration opportunities. And it's what uh, OMD Create works with uh, works across our, our client base and uh, and close, closely with MIM and Sun, Suncorp team as well, looking at how we can properly leverage um, big premium events to, uh, to to drive them and make them work harder. Well, you're sounding quite comfortable with this fuzzy creative conversation, Peter Horgan. It's okay for a media guy, is it? Very retro point of view there, McIntyre. <laughs> Sorry about that. You know, what's, what's interesting there too, I think, is what, uh, you know, the, the game's uh, – you know, as themselves, some of the things that we've spoken about, what it means as as a, as a significant moment in time for, you know, media, for, for Seven, for the brands that we're with, you know, I'm really genuinely interested about this idea of, um, you know, brand and performance working together uh, in the way that we've set up the reporting, the work that we're doing, we've spoken about with Agile, uh, you know, and the brand halo 
the work that Min's doing. We've we've seen snippets of some of that stuff. It looks amazing. Um, you know, that brand halo is going to last, but for a long time beyond those 17 days, we've seen all the research that shows that. Um, you know, this is big event stuff, you know, big creative, really engaging creative on multiple devices. But there's the performance part of that, which I think is going to be really interesting. That I th- we're also going to see that combination. You know, there's the... Uh, the um, you know the effective share of voice discussions um, that that uh, more recently has been on um, and really interesting to hear that because it kind of talks to that. Well, well I shall, I do and I want to go there actually. Might as well go there now. Thanks for the segue, Kurt. Which is I just to mim really on this one. So there's the new work. There's new out new work out last week, right? With ESOV, extra share of voice, mental availability, quality attention metrics, and so forth from the Advertising Council. Um, all the big names are there. Peter Field, Byron Sharp, Karen Nelson Field, all involved in this whole thing. Um, putting the case again for investing long term in brand uh, to outspend your market share to get more growth, right? That whole virtuous cycle and circle. Um, where are you all on this at the moment? I mean, we've talked about it probably a year ago. Has anything changed? Are you there still holding out? Or where's the brand performance debate for you in your head on, in, 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 with inside your marketing team at the moment? That webcast session last week and the work itself, it's a great piece of work. Um, and, you know, we, we've been taking this approach um, in at Suncorp for a, a long time now. So it's a great piece of work. I think the data speaks for itself in terms of the evidence to support the argument around the impact of ESOV. Um, I myself frequently use share of voice, ESOV um, in business cases as evidence and data points um, to build business cases for investment. Uh, so I'm a big big fan of that thinking and that principle. Um, I think, you know, what was probably heightened in in that discussion last week, um, which is really interesting, is the perspective on attention. Um, And I don't think we have really great quality attention metrics as an industry yet uh, to understand the full impact that that could have on the future of our planning considerations. Um, So I think it's an interesting perspective. Um, You know, we all know that attention matters, um, hence the discussion around creative, right? Really great creative is more engaging, holds people's attention more. So I I think it's really interesting. I don't know that we've got really strong metrics that are are credible at this point in time um, to really use that as as part of our planning process, to be honest. But um, the ESOV, share of voice, uh, all of that, absolutely, I'm a big advocate and um, and we look at that and it's part of our planning process and our business casing for sure. So in the last 12 months with, with COVID and so forth, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of performance that an insurance company could do uh, in the middle of it, right? Because there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot that going there. But how, have you seen now, whatever you were doing in your strategy in the last six to eight months, 10 months, is it, are you seeing any evidence of some results there of, of implementing that sort of strategy? Did you implement that strategy through COVID or was it a, a one-off freaky thing that you, well, nothing applied, no rules applied? Uh, there, no, definitely rules applied. My goodness, yes. It was not not that every marketing principle and every rule went out the window um, because of COVID, absolutely not. Yes, we use that methodology. Yes, we've put it in practice and yes, we've seen strong results from it. Great. What are those results, Mim? <laughs> 
<laughs> I love your persistence, Matt. Got to try. Kurt Burnett, you were on that webcast last week, and 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 to Mim's point, um, you know, with all the talk around ESOV and uh, brand and performance ratios, weightings, where you put where you put your money, the overriding uh, conversation last week was around attention. You know, passive attention, active attention. Um, it's okay. Opportunity to see an ad is there as a baseline metric, but you know, do we know uh, whether it's actually been seen as opposed to the opportunity seen in the quality of that attention? Um, but your take on that that whole uh, issue and discussion last week, Kurt, what did, what did it do for you? Well, I think it just showed uh, once again that, you know, the, the power of brand and, um, you know, this notion of mental availability and attention, to Mim's point, is, is, is a fascinating one as well. Uh, you know, I do think it's around how your message is, uh, you know, delivered. It comes down to screen size. But the overarching piece is also around, you know, that creative aspect. You know, what are you doing with the creative? And, uh, you know, they're, they're pretty strong as those guys have been on that anyway about this idea of, you know, the brand, you know, strong brand, consistent brand drives long-term performance versus short-term um, performance um, media. So, you know, I think they hit that, um, you know, once again, and Karen Nelson Fields got some really interesting, as always, insights into that attention economy. And I think, to Mim's point, yeah, there's there's more work to do on that, on, on what that attention piece means. But I think it's, um, you know, ultimately creative will drive it, budget selection, and then, you know, channel selection. And it kind of goes to a lot what we're talking about today as well. You know, it's about how would you and we're going to see it play out, you know, from July 23 onwards. Um, you know, there's some big brands coming into the Olympics, brand new brands um, coming to the Games and brands that haven't been seen uh, on television, in inverted commas, for a while. Um, they're coming there because they buy into that idea as well. You know, and I think the, a lot of them have been on performance, you know, performance only for a long period of time. And, you know, brands making a comeback. Hallelujah. I've got minutes left, so I'm going to throw one last one to the to the group and then I'll let you go and, and actually continue your meeting negotiations, uh, Mim, with the rest of them. But there is this there is this sort of discussion sort of intensifying at the moment around new econometrics data, which suggests that basically performance marketing is overrated, that much of what performance delivers is actually in econometrics terms, baseline sales, sales that would already be there. So I'm interested in, in that performance equation. Peter Horgan, you're big in performance. You do a lot of it. As well as a lot of other things, but is performance in this notion that maybe it's getting credit for things that it's not actually driving? Anything in that Airbnb? Let me give you the Airbnb example, and I know that you scoffed at it because it's a natural or a, an obvious thing. But Airbnb dropped all its performance money uh, through COVID, didn't come back uh, post COVID, kept with brand and you know the bookings and so forth are up eighty eight percent. I think I saw a number somewhere. Um, so performance, Peter, and and, and the weighting, not the, whether it's whether it's uh, Yes or no, in or out, it's both, but the waiting and the performance. I think the, the Airbnb uh, example, I think uh, there, there's so many other external factors driving that. I don't think you can attribute it to uh, um, a switch from performance to brand, although we think the uh, the much maligned uh, uh, purchase funnel is uh, it still still has enormous enormous value in how uh, budgets are split are split between uh, between brand and clo- closer to the uh, the, the purchase. The purchase point, and we 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 manage we manage our our, our clients' uh, metrics accordingly. You're not buying it, then, Peter. You don't buy the fact that performance is is being is being accredited is being credited with generating business results that would have happened anyway in the econometric terms. 
I think that, no, I, I, I think there is something in that, and I, but but it is as a blanket uh, as a blanket statement, it's almost irresponsible. The um, uh, there is there is a balance and an interplay between uh, between brand and performance, and it's our job to work with clients to uh, to to optimize that uh, that blend. Mim, you've got you're quite strong on this. I am, and you know we talked about last week's week some webcast, and you know what was great in that webcast session was Peter Fields again. Um, reinforcing his view that both long-term brand building and short-term acquisition activity are important. Um, I think there are some marketers who focus on only one or, or the other. Some talk about only doing brand work. Some talk about only doing performance, and they're very vocal about that. And I just don't think it's sound marketing. Um, as a marketer, you need to build brand equity and drive business results, and, and that's sales, right? And to be effective in achieving that, you need to get the balance right and do both. And again, if I use Amy as an example, um, it, it, Amy has by far the, the strongest branded uh, share of search in the market by a long shot, right? But that's driven by the brand building work that we do. So the two things um, work together. Uh, so I think this view of one or the other is really irresponsible and it's not effective. Your brand, depending on its maturity and the, perhaps a category that you work in, might influence the exact weighting. But it's, you know, it's the combination of both that drives brand equity and business results and you've got to do both. Well, okay, maybe I'm being a bit technical, which is not surprising. It was it was not so much whether there's the, the, the brand and performance uh, is, is required and, and nor the weighting. It's whether performance is being, being credited with driving results that would have happened anyway. And we don't want to get into the weeds on that one. It's, we haven't got time. But so, so Kurt Burnett, it will be interesting to see with what you're doing with Amy and the Olympics, because I think the agile technology allows you to sort of find the link between exposure and what's going on, for example, in search. Right. So that's you'll be able to see some direct correlations going on there. Yes, we will. It's uh, it's exactly you know the reason that we're doing it for. I suspect it's going to show exactly what we saw out of that. Uh, the, the research has been out more recently, and to Mim's point, that you know it, that. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's fifty-fifty, but certainly it's 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 both of those things need to work together. And if they're they're done right, then it's going to be really powerful. We'll be able to show that. We'll be able to report it on a daily basis, and we'll be able to learn from it. And uh, you know, and action those learnings importantly. So it's not just going to sit there as a piece of research that you can't do anything with. You can actually move on it. One more thing we have to cover because we've got Mim here is your view on in-housing, uh, particularly in a media context, uh, digital agency hybrid. Full, full outside, full outsourced. Where do you sit, Mim, and, and what's happening? What's working for you? Well, as I said before, we we have internal capability around um, our audience management, our digital marketing capability, social and content, right? Um, but from a media buying perspective, you know, we rely on OMD um, for the trading, for example, for programmatic trading, etc. We don't do that in-house. Many do though, right? Why don't you? Many do. A couple of years ago, I looked at it. For us, um, it, it just, it didn't add up in terms of the, um, the business case, the return on investment for us. Um, I felt that uh, the capability building um, that was required constantly, you know, that's not our bag. That's not our area of specialism. And, you know, I've got a lot of trust in OMD. There's a lot of transparency in our business model. I just didn't see that the the benefits um, were going to outweigh the effort for us in our particular model. Well, Peter Horgan, you, I mean, there's been a lot of talk, obviously, with the with the launch of the uh, the in-housing council and so forth about, about all this. Uh, you feel quite strongly that there's some sort of potentially some wayward thinking or expectations around um, fully in 
unhoused or, or hybrid. You, you've got some thoughts on this. It's a little, a little, a little mis- misdirected, you think? I, I do believe that. I think uh, look, agencies should uh, should tailor their service model for what what works for that in, that individual client. But I do, I do think in uh, in this arena, the debate has has uh, has uh, has moved moved from the rational to the uh, the slightly emotional. I think getting behind a client's data wall and being able to transact on on, on their specific data. Is the one area you could possibly say that uh, an in-house or a hybrid model has some advantage. By the time you pull that through to activation in in, in any of the walled gardens, um, that's uh, uh, that in, that imperative has, uh, has has been diluted, and the ability to even the largest clients to manage the rare talent that that are you know the want constant training uh, and and want want variety in their lives, plus the tech investment. I think um, I think it's a folly for uh, for for a client to try and uh, tackle that themselves. That said, the agency community have uh, have not behaved well over the last ten, 10 years in the programmatic space and have eroded trust. And it's why, as an industry, I've been pushing hard uh, to uh, reclaim reclaim that trusted partner status because the trust fundamentally there is is the X factor. Well, I think we should loop around and one day Mim might, might tell me some numbers, which I'll be thrilled about. But Mim Haysom, Kurt Burnett, Peter Horgan, thanks for the, the, the really interesting conversation. And I do look forward to a catch up post the Olympics and working out what worked. That'll be fun. Um, stay safe. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.